This interview is made possible by my friends at Athens Screen Printing, HP Overhead Door Company, Speedy Tech Repair, and Tinsley Law and Title. Their sponsorship makes it possible for me to provide free content to the community. Please say thank you by visiting each of their Facebook pages. Hello, friends. This is Mike from Hannigan Media, and I am here with Henderson County Judge Wade McKinney. How you doing today, Judge? Good morning, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you? I am awesome. We are doing this via Zoom uh, 2020, brought to you by Zoom meetings, um, because we're being a little careful. I've been in contact with uh, the dreaded COVID virus, um, and so we're trying to keep our distance. However, we're going to do something a little different this this uh, this week, and we're not going to talk much about COVID. What do you think about that? I like it. Yeah. Uh, everything seems about the same with COVID uh, from last week. There's there, there hasn't been much change. I mean, yes, some of the numbers have gone up, but, you know, the aver- on average, we're still in the same spot that we were last week as far as this particular COVID wave in Henderson County. Would you agree? I do. You know, we're seeing a leveling off at the state, but as we've said several times, the county, Henderson County in our region, runs a couple of weeks behind. So we're in the middle here of what we've seen the last couple of three weeks for the state. All right. So we're going to take a little break on that portion of what we do because there's some actual real live uh governmental news going on at the courthouse um, for for the Henderson County Commissioner's Court. Last week, um, we had the uh, runoff primary election, uh, and in the on the Republican side, uh, Wendy Kinnebrew-Spivey was elected uh, commissioner for Precinct 1, and Mark Richardson was, uh, was elected for uh, Precinct 4. Now, the thing to remember is because both of those are unopposed in November, they'll get a free pass there, so they're going to be our new commissioners. That's right. Come November, we'll be up and running. All right. Um, now, let's break this down just for a second because um, the precinct 4C is a little is a little different, a little change. Um, Milburn Cheney uh, is in that seat right now. And I say right now as we do this at 12 o'clock. Uh, by the time I get this up, he, he probably won't be in the seat anymore. Could you explain to us what's going on there? Yes. Uh, you know, Commissioner Cheney came in to um, fill the vacancy that was created when Commissioner Giesman passed away. He came in long time. Uh, I call him a statesman because of his long service that he has given to the county as tax assessor collector, and plus all of his um, philanthropy. Excuse me, uh, work that he does with through the churches and right away programs and all of that. But he came in and stepped up to help us get through someone with some county experience, and we appointed him in January. And upon the election of um, Mr. Richardson. Mr. Cheney says, I have done my job, done my duty, and I'm going to step back um, as of today so that Mr. Richardson can go ahead and fill the role. 
and begin the process because this particular commissioner seat, you know, actually runs on the governor's cycle, um, two and four. Uh, it wasn't time for this election to be held normally. So uh, Mr. Richardson will fill this seat and in two years be running again. Right, right. And you guys are usually four-year terms. Correct, correct. Four-year terms for commissioners. Um, okay, so Mr. Richardson is scheduled to be sworn in today at the courthouse at one thirty. Yes, sir. At one thirty today, we'll be swearing him in um, in the commissioner's courtroom. That's going to be an exciting time. Now, uh, the other part of that, obviously, is uh, Wendy Kinnebrew-Spivey, our new commissioner for Precinct 1. Uh, she won't take over until January in the normal cycle of things, I would assume. As of right now, um, com- Commissioner uh, Thomas is currently holding that position. As we know, he also was filling the vacancy caused by the passing of um, Commissioner Hayes. Right. Um, a very odd year for Commissioner's Court. Um, okay. So now here's the thing. When you, when you look at Commissioner's Court then with Mr. Richardson and Mrs. Spivey coming on, um, and you have, uh, Precinct 2 Commissioner is a new commissioner. He is. He is completing his second year. Commissioner Tooley. And then, uh, you have been around the uh, commissioner's court for a long time, <laughs> long time, long, long time. Yeah, but you've only been in the um, county judge's chair for a short time. That's correct, a year and a half. I'm in my second year in my first term. So when we look at commissioner's court, it's really a relatively young. Uh, relatively new court. It is. At one time, um, at the height of our experience level, we had over 50 years of combined experience sitting on the court at one time. And now we, um, between the commissioners that we have, it has reduced drastically. And there's always a learning curve. And uh, one thing I'm very proud of is that with the um, two setting commissioners that aren't in any of the shuffle. Um, they they have been learning quickly and have been absolutely contributing like no other. And uh, when you have our other two that will be coming in, they are actually uh, relatively understand the county system relatively well. Both of them have been in the system for a good time. Um, well, will be Commissioner Richardson has been uh, involved with the county for um, right at 20 years, and uh, Miss Spivey has been five or six years. So there, there is some operational knowledge and, or institutional knowledge, if you want to use that term, and um, it, it is uh, different from what it had been in the past, where you had a lot of joint experience. And that previous experience is really important, especially in county government. I don't think people understand quite as much because county government is, it's almost like a, a, a series of um, individual kingdoms all throughout county government, just the way it's set up. 
And so you really have to understand how to deal with each of those systems because, yes, the commissioner's court, and we'll talk about this in a second, commissioner's court controls things through the budget process. However, each one of those, what you would consider a department head, is actually an elected official in their own right and has a lot of autonomy that you would not normally see outside of an organization this size. That's right. County government, and specifically in the state of Texas, is very unique in the fact that the powers and authorities are so dispersed and diffused through the different departments, giving individuals specific authority. Whereas, and one of the great illustrations I like to use is that when you think of county government and the departments, other than what interactions each of them have to do in association with the work, there's really nothing that touches in their authority. The example that was given to us years and years ago was that when you think of county government, think of a brick wall. Each individual brick is a department, and commissioner's court is the mortar that runs between them all through the budget and policy setting. So each department is truly, to a large degree, autonomous. Right. And so, and it's actually interesting when you think about Texas, just the way government is in Texas, when you look not just at the commissioner's court, but you look at the independent school districts and the kind of local autonomy they have from the state, and the state gives rules, but then the locals have a way of figuring out how they want to apply those rules to themselves. This is actually the Texas way to make sure that nobody has too much power. Right. And I'll throw back in that it's all based in history. Texas decided after Reconstruction that it did not want a strong centralized government, and it broke it up all the way down through. That's why our Constitution is written the way that it is. That authority is dispersed out so that you do not have that ability for individuals to control other areas. All right. So we've got two things going there. We've got history, what I want to talk about just for a second before we get into some of the real power that commissioner's court has, which is the budget process. But first, for history, for those who are wondering, Ms. Spivey, not the first female commissioner in Henderson County, although it has been quite a while since we've had one. It has been, and from what I have been told is that we've actually had two female commissioners, Ms. Beauchart and Ms. Stegall. I believe both of them were originally appointed to fill out the terms of their husbands, but in particular, Ms. Beauchart did actually run and was reelected at one time. This was in the 60s. Okay, so there you go. And it wasn't just an appointment. One was appointed to finish the term of her husband, but then ran on her own right and won re-election. Yes, sir. So Ms. Spivey, not the first woman to win an election for commissioner in Henderson County. No, it has been a long time. Yeah. I was proud to see that Texas, or excuse me, Henderson County was so actually forward in its process, given that this goes back to the state. Yeah, you're talking 60 years since something like that happened. So, yeah, it's a great thing. 
as far as as far as that goes, you know, I mean, it's good to see that diversity on commissioner's court. That's actually the, the strength of the commissioner's court when you get down to it and it's operational is that you have five equal members on the court. Um, each one of them carry the same amount of authority in the court and you have those five different observations, opinions, points of view that really the old saying iron sharpens iron, uh, having those five individuals with different points of view calls for better decision making. And so one of the biggest places that I know commissioners uh, get into this kind of uh, iron sharpens iron, if you will, situation is during the uh, annual budget sessions, which is have just gotten underway for you. Uh, you've already had a couple of budget hearings. Uh, Commissioner Richardson is going to be excited to uh, drop right into the middle of those to get started. Uh it's an odd year for the budget process, I would think, because you had quite an increase in uh, property tax values um, that I actually interviewed our uh, uh, appraiser, Bill Jackson, about uh, a couple of months ago. But you also have the downturn in the economy because of covid so what are you seeing as far as income for the county when you're looking at trying to do budgeting? Well, anytime that the government um, taxes, it's taking money out of the economy, in my opinion, because you take that out of the flow so that it is not able to contribute to commerce. But you have to have some way to operate the government. And in Texas, um, many individuals do not realize that Texas overall is a very low-tax state but it is a very high property tax state, which means that most of the reliance of local governments, be it your school districts, uh, municipalities, counties, all have to depend upon the property tax to carry that burden. So uh, that is the one uh, tax that everyone focuses on because as, as we know, there is no total state income to our state property tax or an income tax. Okay, before we go on, before we go on, let's make sure we understand exactly what you just said. What you said was overall taxes in Texas a little lower than you find around the, around the rest of the country. However, since such a big portion of our tax base is based on property taxes and property values, that tax rate is a little higher than may be expected. And one of the things that people have the tendency to focus on. Right. And that's why the state gets involved and does its property value study, which the primary purpose of that property value study is to help ensure equitable distribution of state funding for public education. Oh, yes. <laughs> you're giving me you're giving me flashbacks to my conversation with Bill Jackson. Who, 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 um, does a great job of explaining, uh, things. Yeah. Um, but that will make you spin in circles because apparently if you don't tax enough to give the schools what they need, the state will penalize the schools by re, by, um, taking away their funding, which makes no sense at all to me. Right. But that's the way that works. All right. That causes an increase in your property value. Right. 
increases local property taxation. And that is what we try to keep in mind when we start into the budget process. All right. So now we're talking about budgeting and property taxes, and all of a sudden I want to go back to COVID numbers. Because they make more sense sometimes. Well, what we do, uh, what we, with everything that's happening, uh, yes, property values are up uh, yeah. due, due to that actual market activity going on. Uh, I've lived here for a long time, and the value uh, of property is actually, when you sell, it is fetching a higher price. There is a demand now to, to move to Henderson County. Absolutely. Uh, you see in the news that there's even um, demands used to, through the last 20 years or so, individuals were wanting to move to the urban areas, and now there seems to be a trend for them moving out. Again. Right. But, right. Um, people have a tendency to think, hey, my house was is all, uh, was valued at $100,000, and I have done nothing to it. Right. And now it's valued at 120000 How's that? Because it's not based on what you did to it. It's based on what someone would pay for it. Right. And with the influx coming out of state, you know, we hear this everywhere. An sure. sells a home in California for, say, 400000 and comes and buys a larger home here for 300000 Exactly. Exactly. And I, I hear that all the time. My mom came from the East Coast here. And after living in Athens for two years, she still walks out of restaurants or out of stores looking at me saying, I can't believe that was so cheap. Really? Wow. Yeah. Two years it's later and she's living. still doing it. That's she right. Can't, she can't believe when she walks in a restaurant and we walk out that the bill was so inexpensive. When, you, when you're thinking about budget, budgeting, that's one of our major priorities is the, the impact of what it's going to have upon the individuals paying the taxes. And, you know, with the COVID situation, many have forgotten about the last legislative session where um, the what used to be called the rollback rate was moved from 8% down to 3.5%. Right. Uh, given in the time of a emergency, there are options to go to the 8%, uh, but if we're not entertaining that at this time. We're following exactly um, what the legislature intended after its last session when it comes to taxation. So you have the 3.5% cap, which is more than a 50% reduction in potential income. And you also have, we have seen interest rates plummet. And the county does draw interest on money held in the bank. And we have seen a uh, almost 40%, no, excuse me, a 65% drop in possible revenue coming from interest. And that money, that interest money comes in is actually spent toward activities of the county to offset and not have to charge more in taxation. So we're having to do some adjusting there. When you put tax money, fee money, and other revenue money together, even though evaluations are up, actual revenue coming in is is lowering because of these changes in the economy. And the other part of that will affect, and I know that when you and I have talked many times about uh, the economic downturn in 2011 and the effect that it had on the county, one of the problems you look at is that collections go down mm-hmm. and that affects that second year right. 
when when you come. And so you're looking at this year now and looking at it, but you got to look ahead to the second year because a lot of times the second year is actually the worst year. It is, and that's exactly what happened in 2011. We actually got uh, blindsided by the loss of that additional revenue, which at that point was the out-of-county prisoners, which we were relying on for the tune of about 500000 at that point. And it, it dried up. It was gone. Right. Plus, we had the fall in our – at that time, we had a reduction in value and even further – the the loss of individuals being able to pay their taxes. So right. in, in 2011, we had a 1.2, 1.3 million dollar uh, shortfall of which we made 1.3 million dollars worth of cuts. And so we're hoping that this year it won't be quite as drastic. We we are taking the lessons from 2011 and taking action now to help mitigate that impact. Spread it out over two years instead of having to absorb it all in one year. Right. So one of the things we may see this year is we may see some cuts. Yes. With with sure. a look ahead to uh, uh, to next year's budget and make sure that we can cushion this across two years instead of having to cut things down. The, well, the, it's, if I can, Mike, the thing yeah. that we have striven to do for the last 20 years is to keep our tax rate flat. You know, when there's opportunity, we have opted for when there was opportunities to raise the rate to not and to keep things as level as we can to live by what we have just as the individual does at home. You only have what you have. Right. And this will be interesting too because you also have this now with the increase in the property tax level, uh, the property tax values mm-hmm. combined with the drop from 8% to 3% in the rollback. There may you may have to adjust that tax rate down some just to not trigger the rollback election. That's correct. Uh, we saw that in the mid two thousands, actually, uh, when we bonded for the jail back in oh five oh six. We thought it would take a two cent tax increase to pay for it. Well, property values at that time were rising so fast that it was those evaluations that were actually paying for the jail while at the same time we were reducing the tax rate over those years. Right, because you you didn't have to raise the tax because the value was providing the increase that the rate would have. would have. See, this, now I'm starting to get a headache. Um, <laughs> so do me a favor and um, for our listeners, sketch out – the general uh, timeline of the budget cycle. So right now you're doing budget hearings, and, and a lot of times what that is is the commissioners are together, and one of the one of the I'm calling them departments, but they're their own little thing. Like the district attorney's office will come in and and talk to you about what their needs are and what their budget is. The sheriff will come in and talk to you about the sheriff's office and their needs and their budget. And and that's what's going on during these hearings. So tell us a little bit about how long that takes and how long it's going to be before you get to the point where our listeners will be able to say, oh, that's what the tax rate's going to be this year. Well, actually, the process begins in April, where um, I put out a letter. Um, all county judges will um, send out a letter to the department saying it's time to begin 
to start with your um, budget requests. And they'll set a deadline, usually sometime in May, for all of those requests to come in. And then we begin compiling them. And there is a wait time for our certified numbers to come in from the appraisal district, which as you had talked to Mr. Jackson, they're running panels right now. They are required by the end of July to have us a certified value level that we can run the tax calculation. Well, sometime before, a few weeks before that certified date, we begin meeting and having discussions over the budget and with some of the departments. It's a place, it's an opportunity for the commissioners to begin discussing and to hearing and talking as a group about where we wish to go with the budget. As of right now, we're in the middle of that process. The county judge is to propose a budget to the court for actual approval. And by having it spread out like that, we're kind of combining the creation of the proposed along with that final because by law, the judge doesn't have to have discussion on his proposed budget. Right. Uh, it's a preference of mine, maybe because I was a commissioner for so long. Being a part of that discussion process helps move it faster, I believe, if you have all five of the um, members involved. And that... Uh, that authority for the county judge to be the one that's in control of that process, the, the, to propose that budget, that's actually in our Constitution. It is. That's a, that's one of your constitutional duties. Correct. Um, yeah, it's all spelled out there. All right. So when will we see? When will we see where the the commissioner's court comes out in the public and says, okay. This is what the budget's going to look like, and this is what the tax rate will be in order to pay for that budget. And I know you'll have a couple of public hearings before you vote for it. When will that happen generally? Generally, that happens toward the end of August. Uh, End of August. End of August is when that happens because we have a deadline as to when we have to have it completed. And that is relies on some others where, as you see on your tax roll, there are many school districts that the county collects for and all of them out on their statements. So we have to have those statements out before October the 1st. So if we are winding up our actual hearings, we start that portion of the final completion toward the end of August because depending on if you're having to raise the rate, you could have one hearing or two depending on just exactly what the needs and the need to be met. And those have to be set out. So you're talking about a three-week or so final process of having public hearings, taking votes. But the, the number begins to come out uh, last week of August so that it can all be discussed before the middle of September. Right, because in that thing, too, when you get to that point, there are a lot of rules in place. Like You have to put a notice in the local newspaper X number of days before the public hearing, and there's a lot of that, and you can get jammed up really quickly if you don't plan that in your calendar so that you know that you have those that that time available to meet those requirements. Right. Those are what we commonly refer to as the truth and taxation requirements. Perfect. All right. Hey, 
Judge, thank you for a, a great interview. We got to talk about the new commissioner's court. We got to talk about uh, Commissioner Richardson going to get sworn in today and take his place in Precinct 4. Thank you to uh, Milburn Cheney for stepping in. Um, you know, he, he's he is someone that the courthouse knows very, very well. Yes. And he he will continue to be a friend of the courthouse, and I do believe he still is um, expecting to continue to do some activities with the county. I have no doubt about it. I think if I remember correctly, um, he actually stepped away from the Athens Municipal Water Authority Board in order to take the Henderson County Commissioner's gig because he felt like that was what he needed to do at that particular time. But it wasn't like he was sitting on the sidelines when you made the call. He was very active in our community. Definitely not. I had several phone calls about, why are you taking Melbourne away from us? <laughs> I am sure you did. Uh, and we also got to talk a lot about the budget this week, which is really important. I want to thank you for taking this time to let us look inside our county government um, it's, it's good for us to know what's going on and, and we appreciate that. Uh, so thank you. And we will see you next week. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it.